Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. Find out about their upcoming DUX Expo at duckexpo.com. That's duckexpo.com. And by the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources Hunter Education Program, dnr.wi.gov. I'm Dan Small. Today, my son John and I recap our recent ice fishing adventure at Riverbend Resort on Lake of the Woods. And we'll meet James Beard-nominated chef Yia Vang, the host of Feral on the Outdoor Channel, and learn about the Hmong philosophy of wild food and conservation. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, and this is a feature you hear every week at this time on Fox Sports 1070 AM and on our podcast on lake-link.com slash radio or iheart.com slash podcast. And joining us now is a guy who does a lot of ice fishing on the Madison chain. He's one of Ice Team's pros, Jim Kasuda, and he joined us a couple of weeks ago, and he's back on this week's show. Jim, thanks for joining us, and welcome back. Yeah, hey Dan, it's good to hear from you. Well, my voice may be may sound a little scratchy. I was up on Lake of the Woods, and uh, folks are going to hear about that later in the show. But you've been fishing locally, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've been hitting it pretty hard and uh, coming up pretty good. Well, from time to time, I come up pretty good. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's more than just once every five or six times out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like to keep the averages where... It's more goods than the bad. There you because, go. But that's that's fishing. <laughs> and speaking of goods, you had the Yahara Fishing Club kids event just recently, didn't you? Yeah, last Saturday we had a really good turnout at Monona Bay over at Brittingham Park, and this was actually our 25th year of doing the event. I was the original coordinator. I was on the board of directors, and for the first four years, I actually kind of headed the whole thing up, but it was always like a rule by committee. I always took the input from the club members. Everyone really had a lot of gifts to and talents to showcase, and mm-hmm. it really is just a beautiful event. Good. So what did you do? We went out there and drilled a bunch of holes in the area that's pretty safe ice. There's one like warm water discharge kind of in the area, so we always have to be really careful to stay away from it. And the guys that are drilling the holes, I always tell them, if you start drilling and the ice starts getting thinner, then just stop and don't don't go in that direction. But anyways, we had probably about 300 holes, and I'm going to say that coincided with about the number of kids that we had that day. Great. Wow. And did they catch fish? Yeah, it was really pretty lucky because, you know, Monona Bay is actually a series of areas. There's Brittingham Park, where we are, the corner of West Washington and Park Street, and then there's like the Brittingham Boathouse and the Brittingham Beach, and then there's the Triangles, the North and South Triangles. So basically this winter, people haven't been fishing in Brittingham Park. So one of our members, Paul Zock, actually told me, he gave me a hot tip saying that, you know, and even Phil James, the president, that, you know, they had been over there and there's a lot of fish in there, but for whatever reason, people were favoring the other areas. So when we came in, it was almost an untapped resource and the kids really did get a fair number of bluegills and even some nice crappies. 
Well, that's great. It's important for new fishermen, especially young ones, to see some results when they're out there on the ice and not just have fun. Pretend you're having fun, you know? Exactly, because I always say that my goal as being one of the lead instructors is that every kid catches a fish, because unless you actually experience the thrill of actually doing that, catching a fish and doing it yourself, it really doesn't make any sense. I remember years past, um, some excited kids were talking, and one kid said to the other kid, where's the fish? And the other kid said, they're underground. <laughs> I thought that was like perfect. Yeah, that's their perception is that the fish are underground. But the real thrill is just for kids and, and their parents to actually have the success and see what it's like to actually do what it takes to be successful. Yeah, well, that's great. Aside from the kids' event, you've been fishing and you said having more yeah, good days more. than poor days, huh? Yes, I just actually have to clean some fish. I got some perch off of Lake Mendota today, and oh. I was really happy that this time I was able to get more of that, you know, 9- and 10-inch size fish and less of that 8-inch size fish, which is an okay fish, but it's just nice to get ones that are, you know, more meaty or something like that. They're just a, a little bit bigger that, that next year class. And so today I was able to get a, a good number of those. Well, that's great. Now, without putting a pin on a map, in general, where were you? What depth and what part of the lake? Well, the old description is the West Basin. And Mm -hmm. basically what that is is just when you look at Lake Mendota, if you drew a line from like Fox Bluff to Picnic Point, anything west of there is considered to be the West Basin, and that considers uh, the uh, Second Point area and the Commodore Bar. But basically for perch fishing right now, at this time of year, we're catching them out in like 60 to 65 feet of water. Uh Uh-huh. They are finally out in that deep water. And are they suspended or on bottom? Actually, today I was really kind of surprised because I did mark most of my fish not on the bottom, but like about four or five feet up off the bottom. And one time I had really a nice school come through 20 feet off the bottom, and I was able to catch three fish out of there before they moved on. Wow. Yeah, and you need a good locator to do that, otherwise you're just fishing blind. Oh, Vexilar's the king. I just (laughs) swear by it, and all my friends know that I use what works, and it's reliable, and it tells me what I need to know, which is the bottom, the fish, and my jig. And I can see the tiny little jig in 65 feet of water, no problem. Yeah, it's amazing how those things work on Lake of the Woods, and we'll talk more about that later. We actually had the use of a live scope for two days, and that was a game changer. I mean, you could watch the fish come in and go from one bait to another and then swim out of the area and actually kind of determine the rough size of the fish, too. It was it was a new experience for me. I'd never used one before. Yeah, yeah, I'm on my third season with the live scope, and before that I had the regular optics with a PS22 transducer, but for perch fishing in the basin, it's just a good, like, thermometer. I'll just go out to an area, and I'll drill a hole, and I'll make a 360 scan. If I can see schools on my left and my right, then I kind of know that this is probably an okay area, so it's just kind of to tell me if I'm sort of in the ballpark, because it's when you can't see anything, and you have the range set out to say, 100, 120 feet, and you don't see really any schools of fish or really much fish in general, then it's time to kind of keep moving before you set up camp. Yeah, I guess. Well, what are you hearing from the other lakes, or what have you seen if you've been on other lakes? 
Yeah, I've been down on Kagaza and I've been fortunate. I've run into some little bluegills down there. I haven't really fished Monona very much other than Monona Bay, but there are some decent fish in there. There's a lot of numbers of bluegills. There's some nice ones in there. I guess that's about it. I haven't really been hitting Wabisa yet. Okay. Hearing anything from Cherokee Marsh, or is, is it pretty much over up there? No, I haven't been up there for some time because, you know, Cherokee is kind of, in my opinion, one of those first ice condition places mm -hmm. where you can get on, and, and it's it's really nice, and it's relatively shallow, so it's not super dangerous. But since we've had some cold snaps, then we've been able to run and, and do the main lake. Oh, I do remember I did fish University Bay. I guess that was about almost two weeks ago because that was the first day I took my four-wheeler out from Lot 60, which is the parking lot in University Bay. They have free parking on the weekends. So I went out perch fishing past University Bay and past Picnic Point and kind of out in there on the edge of the western basin. It's not really the west, west basin proper. But anyways, I didn't do real good on the perch, and my buddies didn't either. So we came in, and I told my friend Dan that I was going to try for some bluegills since I was here at University Bay, but he said his hands were cold, so he was just going to take a pass and head on home. So I just went back into the bay, and I only fished from 4.30 to 5.30, but I thought I did really well. Of course, the first fish I got, I snapped off on. <laughs> so idiotic because I'm not used to fighting a fish in, like, less than three feet of water, and and the next fish that I caught, because fortunately I had two poles rigged, I caught a really nice big 13-inch crappie, so then I'm going to guess that that might have been what snapped me off. And then I was able to catch five more bluegills, and four of those were nice ones. Wow, that's not bad for an hour. Yeah, and, you know, it's really like just a luck thing because I've talked to some of my friends, and they've gone over and tried it and kind of struck out. So I just happened to be there at the right time and place, I guess. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Well, Jim, that's a, an exciting report, and it looks like th there's good ice pretty much around the chain, yeah. and uh, people ought to be yeah. able to get out and do some fishing. Yeah, so far, so good. And, uh, yeah, we really had a great time, and, you know, it was, it was really surprising that 25 years ago was the first year we did Kids Ice Fishing Day, and I think back to those times, and it's really like, wow, time really does fly, but... Thankfully, it's still continuing on and being successful. We had a really good good event this last weekend. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that report, and we'll catch up with you again before the ice leaves the lakes. Sounds good, Dan. All right. Jim Kasuda, Ice Team Pro with a report from the Madison Chain. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. If you are ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named best personal injury law firm, by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm Voted Best and Rated Best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678, or visit hupe.com. And all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business. And the firm of Hupe and Abraham has paid thousands of dollars in rewards to help solve crimes in the Milwaukee area. Michael Hupe is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers, and he is offering a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got a tip on an unsolved homicide case, visit MilwaukeeCrimeStoppers.com. 
Well, joining me from Wisconsin Rapids once again, Jeff Kelm. Have you been ice fishing, Jeff? Uh, no, I've been getting ready to ice fish. It was too cold, Dan. I'm a, a, a unless you're going to pay me to be out there, I'm, I'm not going out there when it's four degrees. So, um, it's maybe a shift in opinion over the course of the, you know, 15 years or so that I've been fishing at the level that I've been fishing at. But, um, if I've got the chance to sit inside and you know, the truth is, Dan, I've got a lot of other inside work I can do between yeah. voiceovers and, and all the logistical stuff for tournaments. I, I don't need to be out there fishing like not that. To so. men- not to mention this radio show. <laughs> well, right. And the radio show. Of course. Of course. And, uh, but no, I have, I have been getting ready for some stuff. I haven't fished a competitive, uh, tournament, uh, for four seasons now, five seasons. Ooh, and rusty. so. Uh, we're going to be, yeah, any IFC events. And so I'm, I'm going to actually be fishing a UPL, an ultimate panfish league event over on French Lake in Rice County, uh, Minnesota. And, um, uh, we're looking forward to it. Todd Forcier and I are going over there, but I got cool. some stuff to prep because I've just kind of gotten a, I guess a little lazy or so on, on how I prep for stuff. And, uh, I just kind of grab whatever's, you know, in the box and throw it in and, and go fish. But uh, when you do a tournament, uh, I, I like to say proper preparation prevents poor performance and uh, all that alliteration to just make sure that, you you know, you're prepared for anything. Absolutely. Well, I wish you the best of luck on that. I'm sure we'll hear how that goes. And uh, my goodness, what would you say? Four below? Boo-hoo. I was up at Lake of the Woods, as you know. Uh-huh. Uh, the, it's usually very cold up there. Uh, both mornings when we stepped out of the heated cabins, of course we stayed in heated cabins, uh, we had started the vehicles before we went to breakfast. So they ran for at least a half hour, if not 45 minutes, 27 below zero. And then we drove eight miles out on the ice. And... Uh, they got a late start making ice, but had no problem making ice while we were there. And I was up there for an Aglow Ice Fishing Media event. That's the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers, as you know, at River Bend Resort in Bedette, Minnesota. And my son John was with me. And actually, we kind of talk about that in, in a few minutes. We'll, we'll give you a rundown. Uh, one thing I want to say that John and I didn't discuss, shiners are the natural forage up there. But we used fathead minnows because it's too hard to get live shiners this time of year. You can buy them. You can buy them frozen or, or salted minnows, you know. But mm-hmm. you uh, you want live minnows? Use fatheads. And we caught saugers and walleyes, and every single one of them came on a live target rattle bait tipped with a fathead. Some people broke them in half. Some people used the, the head. I just put a whole minnow on there. My friend Great. Steve Griffin, who lives over near Saginaw, Michigan, he caught a Cisco, the only one. And, of course, there they call him Tulipy. And our guide, Alex Peterson, was calling him Tulipy. And I said, where'd the P come from? He said, I don't know. That's what we say. Tulipy, Tulipy, whatever. But everything else came on one of those live target baits. So, of course, I grabbed a few off the sample table before I left. And, you know, I asked Steve why he came 100 or 800 miles to ice fish for walleyes. Simple answer. He said, we got no ice up there at Saginaw Bay. So they had ice at Lake of the Woods. And <laughs> yep. I wore my, my Huntworth heat boost jacket outside the shack, but I had to take it off inside. It was really too warm. And by the way, Huntworth Gear has a big winter sale going on for one more week through February 12th. Visit HuntworthGear.com. Save up to 50% on certain products. HuntworthGear.com. 
And you know me and deer uh, at night driving. Man, I was dodging deer all the way to Dave Roll's house where I'm stopped to look at some video that we're working on, including a nose-to-tail string of four. And I was yards from hitting them. It's a good <laughs> thing I was just coming into a 45-mile-an-hour zone. And you and I know you watch behind the first deer. Mm-hmm. And I did, and there was one, two, I mean, nose to tail, literally. And I thought, oh, my God, if there's five, I'm hitting one. And uh, if I had hit the first two, the other two would have slammed into the car, and I'd have had venison for a year and no vehicle. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, no fun. So be careful driving, folks, especially, you know, full moon uh, in the winter. They're out looking for something to eat. So anyway, Chef Yia Vang interesting guy. I've got him on this week's show. He talks about Hmong cooking and his outdoor channel TV show, Feral. And then, of course, as I mentioned, John and I report on our ice fishing adventure up on Lake of the Woods. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio. Attention future hunters. Hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Winter blues bugging you? Got big muskies on your mind? We can help with that. Come to the Milwaukee Muskie Expo, February 17, 18, and 19 at Washington County Fair Park in West Bend. Talk with lure manufacturers, retailers, clubs, guides, outfitters, and lodges. Catch seminars by the country's top muskie pros. Check out the latest muskie tackle, baits, resorts, boats, and lots more. Milwaukee Muskie Expo, a family event you don't want to miss. MilwaukeeMuskieExpo.com Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids, big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small, and I'm joined now by a very special guest. His name is Yia Vang. He's a Hmong American who was born in a Thai refugee camp, and he came as a very young boy with his family to Port Edwards in central Wisconsin. He now lives in the Twin Cities where he operates two restaurants, Union Hmong Kitchen in Gray's Provisions and Libations Food Hall, and he's actually building a new Vinay restaurant in Minneapolis as well. He's a James Beard-nominated chef, an avid hunter and angler, and that's really why we've got him on Outdoors Radio, and he's the host of Feral, 
on the Outdoor Channel. He was just recently a guest on Wisconsin Foodie. You may have seen that on PBS stations. And you can watch him roast a chicken over an open fire with foodie host Luke Zom. And that's on YouTube as well. Just search for Wisconsin Foodie. His website is unionmungkitchen.com, and he's also on Facebook under that same title. Well, yeah, I apologize for the long intro, but man, you've been busy since you came here a number of years ago. Welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network, and thanks for joining us. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. It's uh, a super honor here. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. You and I ran into each other very briefly in the parking lot of the Viroqua Food Co-op. I think it was last year when you and Luke were filming something for this foodie show that you were on just recently. And we didn't have a chance to visit, but I, I said, oh, I, I got to connect with that guy sometime. For people who have eaten some Oriental food, Chinese or Thai or Vietnamese, but have never tried Hmong cooking, how would you describe it and what makes it unique? Yeah, I think that one of the really unique things about Hmong food is it's kind of a food that tells our story of our people. Our food is influenced by where we've been as a people group, so there's hints of Chinese, you know, like Southern Chinese, there's hints of Thai, there's hints of Lao, Vietnamese, that's all in there. And because our people group are bred through that area, you know, you see a little bit of everything in there. And so, you know, a lot of people like the word fusion, I don't like that word at all. I say that it's this concept that where all this different kinds of food is forged into the best way of explaining what monk food is. But monk food is I know a number of Hmong people. I have a friend, Tai Yang. Uh, he works at Milwaukee PBS, where I, I produced my show for many years. And I know many of them are, are avid hunters. I know Tai also. You do? <laughs> okay. He's actually my uncle's brother-in-law. Okay. My mom's brother's brother-in-law from his wife's side. Yeah, it's weird, but I know him. Yeah. Okay, well, great. Well, well, I'll have to let yeah. him know that you're going to be on. Uh, you guys are avid hunters and anglers. I mean, he's told me stories of deer hunting with his friends, and uh, we did a show with him fishing for whitefish on the Bay of Green Bay. And your people were hunters before you came to America, and you've just kept it going once you were here, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's the background, right? When you have a people group that live in the mountains and the hills of Laos and Vietnam and Thailand, you know, there's no there's no grocery stores, there's no market, you know, it's whatever the land offers. That's exactly, it's in our blood to do that, to, to, to forage, to hunt, to fish, and that's what we've done. And so a lot of Hmong people here in the Midwest, especially Minnesota and Wisconsin, hunting and fishing for them isn't a recreational sport. It's actually gathering food. I remember growing up watching the concept, the concept of my friends going, yeah, we killed this deer and now we're going to we're gonna mount the head and stuff like that. I'm like, whoa, really? Like, we would never do that because that, to us, is like, that's food right there. Or even taking the, like a trophy fish and mounting that and I'll be like, wait, but that's a lot of meat right there. You, can, you know, it's good. I remember as a kid growing up, we would drive kind of on the countryside in central Wisconsin. So I grew up in Port Edwards and we would drive and my mom and dad would stop the car grab the garbage bag out of the car, we would go and we would forage wild asparagus or some kind of watercress or some kind of, you know, vegetation out in my parents would be, yep, let's go. And as kids, you're kind of embarrassed, like, mom, dad, don't do this, not right now. You know, I mean, that's just what we did. And it was just 
very natural for us, and it's actually it's in our blood. And it's natural for a lot of people who grew up here. I, I grew up hunting and fishing, as a lot of our listeners did, and gosh, I still uh, gather wild mushrooms and asparagus where I can find it. I planted some because you can't always count on beating everybody else to the fresh asparagus mm-hmm. when it pops up. But you have eaten all kinds of things, both traditional wild foods like game. You mentioned deer, uh, deer and turkeys and uh, rabbits and other wild game. But you've branched yeah. out and you have this show called Feral on the outdoor channel and it's got a pretty unique concept why don't you tell us about it yeah so a couple years ago uh intuitive concept which is a production company a real big production company came up and said you know with two of the executive producers said hey we have an idea we want to throw this idea at you and the moment they explained that what you're going to be doing is we want to put you in the wild we want to put you in woods jungles rivers oceans waterways we want to put you in there and we're going to go find animals that are either invasive or destructive to the ecosystem that they're in or just animals that most people don't eat. And we're going to put you in that situation, and you're going to go with a guide, and we're going to go hunt for them, and then we're going to cook them together. And when they told me that, the first thing I said to the executive producer, Patrick, I said, bro, this is so long, it's not even funny. I'm like, this is what our people do. Like, this is like, we do this without cameras. And so I was so excited. I was very proud of it. And then uh, we put together some, you know, some ideas. And then, you know, we got greenlit. Uh, Outdoor Channel loved it and said, hey, let's put on season one. So we did, we shot one season. And after we got done with season one, we showed all the, you know, they, they showed all the uh, rough cuts to uh, the executives at Outdoor. And Outdoor said, hey, let's get season two going. So then we shot season two. We finished season two. End of November is when we finished season two. So we have season two already in the hopper. Season one is all out now. And then now, I don't, I don't know when they'll drop season two. And now we're just waiting to hear if there's a season three. And it's an incredible time. We travel around the country. We find invasive animals or animals that are destructive to the ecosystem or animals that most people just don't eat. And when we go, I go out, we hunt. It's kind of crazy. The first half of the show is we hunt for them. The second half, where we cook it outside. You know, I love hunting. I love fishing. Don't get me wrong. But I'm by no means an expert in it. So I really travel with some of these expert guys where sometimes it's like, Hey, you just gotta sit here, you gotta be quiet, we just gotta, you know, listen to the wind, and you're just like, okay, let's do that, you know? But it's so, so fun, and a lot of Hmong community members have reached out and said, this show is made for our people. This show is our people. For example, uh, we went down to um, Southern Florida, we were down hunting our green iguana, and I was telling my dad about it, and my dad goes, oh, wow, as a little boy growing up in the mountains a lot, that's what we, we would always shoot those. And then he gave me this recipe that they cooked with, and so I was able to use the exact same recipe he used 60 years ago, 60, almost 70 years ago as a kid growing up, cooking iguana down in South Florida. That is so cool. Now, Hmong people understand, uh, as you've explained, you live off the land, so you eat what's available, but how about people who are not tuned into that, what some people would call exotic or just opportunistic eating? What kind of reaction are you seeing? Yeah, Dan, I think that the, there's one side, too, of it that's the conservation side, right? Any outdoorsman, like majority of outdoorsmen, I'm, I, I, I don't want to say all, but, you know, I'm going to say majority of outdoorsmen, they're also conservationists. You're an outdoors guy. Like, you, you care about the land you hunt on. You know, mm. there, there's a preservation. There's an idea of preservation. Yep. The show, we talk about that a lot. We talk about the reason why we want to preserve the land, why we want to make sure that the ecosystem is done well is because well, you want to be able to hand it off to your kids and they can hand it off to their kids and they can hand it off to their kids. 
I mean, one of the greatest things is like my, my, my friends, like, you know, they have land up in northern Wisconsin, right? They have that land and they, they want to take care of that land because they hope that one day their kids and their kids' kids can hunt on that same land. I mean, that, that, that's, it's enough. It's this generational thing enough so we can hand something to our children and their children's children. That's the way of the Hmong people. If we work, like one generation works very hard to make sure that they can preserve something so the next generation can take care of it. I look at the way that we do our food. I look at the way that we talk about our people, the way that we sustain our culture, not because I'm this spokesperson for it. No, but I'm a steward of it. I want to be a good steward of what is given to me right now so that we can pass it down to the next generation. Fantastic. That's what I talk about. That is exactly the same message that a lot of Americans who've been here for generations say about conserving and uh, sustaining our natural resources. Say, we've got to take a break here. Will you come back and uh, continue this conversation? i got a few more questions for you. Absolutely. I'm talking with Yia Vang about his show, Feral, and about eating what's out there on the landscape. We'll be back with more in just a minute. I'm Dan Small. You're listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. I'm talking with Yia Vang. He is a Hmong American. He's a chef, a James Beard Award nominee, uh, host of uh, the show Feral on the Outdoor Channel, and owner of a couple of restaurants in the Twin Cities. And we're talking about Hmong traditions in food and hunting and the cultural aspects of hunting and why it's important to his people. And I'm going to ask him about some recipes in just a minute or so. Yeah, when you're talking about the tradition of passing on your culture to the next generation, this is really the same message that we heard Native Americans share and many European Americans, I guess that's the fairest way to describe us, more recent imports than the Native Americans and, and been here a little longer than you, but we all seem to share that tradition of wanting to preserve the outdoors and the hunting and angling heritage and uh, making sure that the next generation has an opportunity to do those things. Do you see the connection that I'm talking about here? Absolutely. I think it's a human thing. I think that all humans, we have this thing inside of us that says, how can this be passed on? And that's the same thing I look at my mom and dad. I believe that their greatest thing that they want to do for us is give us a chance and an opportunity. That's why my dad came to this country with nothing. Mm -hmm. He came and he worked for almost 40 years, breaking his back, literally sacrificing his own body to work so that we have every opportunity. Like, I'll be very honest. I'll say it straight up. Like, America's not perfect. You know, there, I got to, we all know there's problems. Yep. But we live in this country where if you have opportunities, you can go out there and change everything. You know, my my mom said to me before we came to America, they were in the refugee camp, B9, the refugee camp that they were in for 10 years. Most of us were born in there, except for my youngest brother. My mom was pregnant with him on the way we were here. My mom said that my dad looked at her and said, before they were getting ready to come here, she said, my dad said to my mom, looked in the eyes and said, I want to go to a country where my son can be free. Mm. And they have the freedom to write their own destiny. Wow. Like they, they came from a war-torn country. Yeah. Death 
everything was around them. They lived in a refugee camp where most children was 30% mortality rate, 30, 35% mortality rate. Statistically, I should not be here. Hmm. But dad made a sacrifice and said, I'm going to come here. I'm going to, and I look at them and I say, it's their legacy. How do I preserve and fortify their legacy? How do our children and their children keep talking about grandma and grandpa and the things that they did to get us here? Yeah. That's what it is. I mean, the food we do, it's not yes food. People always say yes food. And I'm like, it's not that. It's their food. Mm. I am merely, merely an editor. I get to move the commas around. I get to put a, indent a few paragraphs here and there, but I'm editing what their story is. I always say that they are the ink and we are the quill. Uh-huh. And when you put that quill in that ink, what gives it the power of, like, when you're writing something, it's actually the ink. The, the, the quill, the pen, whatever you want to call it, it's just an instrument. It's just a tool. Yeah. It's nothing without ink. It's just a stick. It's just a feather. The moment that the ink is there, you get the right things down, and it's their story. This is a human condition. This is a human thing in all of us, right? You know, people want to be able to pass things down to their to to their generation and their generation's generation. That's why things like land and water and 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 even just good, you know, places where people can hunt and garden and farm. That's why that's very important. It's something that one generation can't take with them, but they said, we worked on this so that you can have it, so the next generation can have it. And the next generation, you can do it, so then you can give it to the next. And that's all in us as humans, regardless of creed, color, sexual orientation, religious belief, you know, uh, political stance. Like, we have that inside of us where we want to give a little bit of ourselves to the next generation. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> that's a great philosophy. And uh, I agree with everything you said there. And you learned to cook at home with your folks, did you not? Yeah. So in, in the Hmong culture, uh, everybody cooks. It's not like, oh, the women cook and the men don't, blah, blah, blah. No, everybody cooks. A lot of times the men will take care of the protein. So usually it's like breaking down a pig, breaking down a, you know, a cow, whatever. You know, the, the men will take care of that. The women will do a lot of the other stuff, like the side dishes. Doesn't mean that it's left, you know, that there's are left people. No, not at all. So everybody cooks. Everybody helps out, you know. And so you're always as a boy growing up. Or, you know, the girls who would always, you know, my sisters and them would always be inside with, with, you know, with the moms and the aunties doing the thing. And the boys would be outside breaking down meats and, you know, chopping meat up and grilling and stuff like that. So everybody cooks, you know, and then we was just very common. You know, growing up, my dad worked that first shift. My mom worked second shift. She worked at a Sargento. It was a cheese, cheese company, you know, so she would work there second shift at the Sargento factory. And my dad, you know, he was a welder. So, and a home builder, so he worked first, and then we would have that in-between time where my dad would be home. Dad wouldn't be there yet, and my mom would already left for work, so we'd come home from school, and then we would just kind of figure out, you know, how to, you know, make food for ourselves and everything like that in high school. So, you know, it was always one of those things where growing up, I also, dad taught me really quick, like, how to break down, like, deer, pigs, and cows, and all that stuff. So I was more comfortable holding a bone knife than I was holding a baseball to try to throw a curveball. Uh-huh. So I was more comfortable doing that, breaking down whole animals. Like, I, I wasn't, by the time I was like 10 or 12, like that was just real, it was just part of what you did. Yeah, and of course, now you've made a career of it, and uh, I'd like to get back to... <laughs> yeah. That to... wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. How many, of us, <laughs> how many of us end up where we are based on a plan that we started when we were very young? You know, not many people. <laughs> but we won't go off in that direction too far. I want to get back to feral and invasive. I've watched some of the uh, episodes on the Outdoor Channel. What are some of the things for people who haven't seen the show that you have chased down and eaten? So we were down in Destin, Florida doing lionfish. You did lionfish, you know, yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Super invasive down there. Ridiculously how invasive they are. You can't kill them fast enough. 
the thing with lion fishing, you can't fish them on a line. You have to literally go down a hundred some feet and spear them. It's a little bit more difficult, so that's why they can't keep up with it. Wild boars, uh, iguanas, Burmese pythons in the Everglades. In Wisconsin, we were up like kind of near Lady Smith, like 30, 30 minutes south of Lady Smith. Uh, mystery snail out there, these snails in Clearwater Lake. Mm-hmm. And then we were up in northern Minnesota, the rusty crayfish oh, yeah. lake up there. Yep. We did bow hunting for carp. And then next season two is pretty fun. We're out in Jackson Hole doing some stuff out there. Down in southern Illinois doing squirrels. What was the other one? Oh, and the Asian carp, you know? Yep. A kopi, they call it, kopi. But it's the Asian carp, it's like the jumping one where, like, they get all the boats and you make a lot of noise and they all jump out of the water. It was incredible to see that. We did a show on that in a motorboat on the Illinois River. Yep. Bow fishing yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah. They jumped and we shot them in the air. I don't know if you've ever tried wow. that. It was a gas. Nope, yeah. Nope, but that's a new one. And yeah. I asked the biologist, I said, now, are these things edible? Because most people shoot carp and throw them away, you know. And he yeah. said, most of Southeast Asia, this is a staple food for them. So he showed me how to fillet yeah. them. I took 10 of them, put them on ice in a cooler right away after we shot them, mm-hmm. brought them home, and we filleted them. And they were good. They were a little soft, kind of like whitefish or catfish, but Almost a smoky yep, flavor. I, we pan fried them, and my wife liked it better than some of uh, the, you know, the game fish that we've eaten. You know, I will be very honest. I mean, we grew up eating carp. I love it, you know. But the way that one of the guys did it was they, he, you know, cornmeal batter them, deep fried it, and they'll tell you, Dan, if I, you told me that this was either some kind of perch or you know, crappie or any kind of pan fish, you wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah, it was the, the most. It was a very delicious shore lunch. Yeah. I mean, hands down. Yeah. You know, and you couldn't tell. And nobody, if I didn't show you that this is where it came from, this is the carp it came from, I mean, the way that the guys took care of it, it was delicious. We had a little tartar sauce, and we just went to town on it. Yeah. Well, a lot of it's in the preparation. People tell me, oh, I don't eat ven- I don't eat venison because it's gamey. Well, then you didn't handle it oh, properly. You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were down in, uh, we were down in Central Texas doing axis deer, which is all overgrown down there. Oh, yeah. It's a big invasive group down there, Axis Deer, and Axis Deer actually has a less gamier, quote unquote, gamier taste mm. than you know regular whitetail. Mm-hmm. And it's delicious, and yeah. they're, they're they're leaner too, and they're it was so amazing. Yeah, we yeah. got that grill nice and hot, and just threw it on for a couple, you know, a couple minutes, and nice medium rare, it was delicious. That's the way to do it. Yeah, and some listeners know that I pick up road kills as well. And I didn't shoot a deer this year, but I got three roadkill, so I got plenty of venison. I had to hit yeah, one of them yeah, myself. No, absolutely. So, what do you tell hunters and anglers, um, people who are already eating wild food, who might be a little leery of trying so-called non-traditional game or fish? What advice have you got? I think that, like, when you're cooking food, you know, the protein might change, but the basic preparation is the same. So, the same way that we cooked iguana was the same way that we grew up. You know, in our Hmong household, cooking swirls and rabbits. Uh-huh. The protein might change, but the preparation is still the same. You treat the same thing. I got asked, like, how did, how did you do pythons? I'm like, well, I just did, you know, I realized what the texture was like. It, you know, the texture of a python is almost kind of like uh, an octopus. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I love octopus. Mm-hmm. So we grilled it, you know, sliced it thin and seasoned it well and it turned it into a lettuce. Yeah. It's not out of the realm of like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. Because I think that sometimes we clip this faux pond on, on it. On animals, right? Where it's like, oh no, we don't eat that. It's like, uh, yeah, like in America, I guess we don't, but in other countries, like this is a source of protein. They don't have a choice, right? Yeah. We don't like here. It's like 
chicken, beef, or pork. Chicken, beef, or pork. Yeah. Other countries, they don't have a choice. It's whatever the land provides. Yeah. So if the land provides turtles, we're in turtles. You know, and, and, and that's why, like, sometimes when I watch some of these shows where people go into other countries and be like, oh, my gosh, this is so crazy. It's the craziest thing where other people come to our country and go, I cannot believe that you go to this window and you order and they just hand food out to you. Yeah. You know, like, for, for, for other countries, like, that is the most craziest thing. Yeah. Like, wait, well, you don't actually, there's no process to know, like, to, to cooking your food? That's why I tell people, it, it's all perspective. And it's about going into something with an open mind. And, I mean, I love that. And, and actually, honest truth, it's, it's a monk kid growing up in, in, in a in a American white world here, too. Yeah. I went to school with this with really big open mind. Like, I couldn't understand that for dinner at my friend's house who were white. For dinner, sometimes it was grilled cheese and tomato soup. And I'm like, wait, well, where's the rice? <laughs> oh, yeah. Where, where's, you know, where's the grilled meat? Yeah. Where's the hot sauce? You know, where's the soup? Or where's the, you know, where's the vegetables? Like, this is not dinner. This is a snack. Yeah. So, like, it's perspective. And, and there's no right or wrong perspective. It's how we grow up. Yeah. And, you know, meeting all these different people across the country and the ways that they eat and the way that they do food, I love it. I love that we can connect over food at a table. You know, we firmly believe in our restaurant that food is the great equalizer. It is a thing that makes us all the same, regardless of race, religion, sexual orientation, political stance, what economic background, whatever. We all need to eat at the end of the day, and why not sit down at a table and eat with somebody you don't know and build that connection? Amen, brother. I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, hey, when are you going to write a cookbook, or maybe you already have? <laughs> uh, we have a lot of projects on our hand. we got to build up this restaurant, so, you know, maybe after all that, but, you know, we're, you know, thank you so much. Like, you know, that we've been asked that many times, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. We got we got a few other projects on the on the in the hopper, so we're gonna finish all these. My new thing from our business partners and uh, our team is like, hey, we can't start something unless we finish something first. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's been a great pleasure talking with you, yeah. And uh, your enthusiasm comes through. I mean, I love watching you on uh, on um, the Feral on the Outdoor Channel and your episode with Luke Sam. I mean, you guys are just really going at it and tearing that chicken apart and having a great time and loving the food. And obviously, you love to eat and you love to share great food with folks. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again sometime. And if I'm in the Twin Cities, uh, I will stop at your restaurant sure. and visit you for sure. And we'll send yeah. folks there as well. So thank you so much for yeah. talking with us. No problem. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. You bet. Yevang is a Hmong American who has a restaurant, a couple of restaurants in the Twin Cities, Union Hmong Kitchen. That's his website as well, unionmongkitchen.com. You can find him on Facebook and all over the Internet. And if you're in the Twin Cities, stop by and have lunch with him. It'd be a great time. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. 
Winter blues bugging you? Got big muskies on your mind? We can help with that. Come to the Milwaukee Muskie Expo, February 17, 18, and 19 at Washington County Fair Park in West Bend. Talk with lure manufacturers, retailers, clubs, guides, outfitters, and lodges. Catch seminars by the country's top muskie pros. Check out the latest muskie tackle, baits, resorts, boats, and lots more. Milwaukee Muskie Expo, a family event you don't want to miss. MilwaukeeMuskieExpo.com Attention future hunters, hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small, and I'm here with Jonathan, my son. We are at his home in Bayfield, Wisconsin. We just got back from our trip to Lake of the Woods. We were at Riverbend Resort up there on Lake of the Woods, and that was quite the event, wasn't it, John? Yeah, it was. Thanks for having me back on, and what a trip. You know, it's a little five and a half short hours from Bayfield to Lake of the Woods. I don't think I've ever been that far north in Minnesota before. And, you know, it was one of the few times I've been back on the ice in a car, or a truck, as it were, since I was a kid. And there's a big, important reason for that that uh, we can maybe summarize real quick. Yeah, you know, I, I was traumatized as a 12-year-old by going through the ice in a 1974 Ram uh, with a snowplow on the front of it. And the truck disappeared right in front of us, and we all made it out alive. But since then, I haven't really been too excited about driving on a frozen lake. But we had to do that this week to get out to where we fish. Now, we were at River Bend Resort, which is just outside of Bledette, Minnesota. This was an outing organized by the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers. John and I are both members. And there were, I'd say, eight media members altogether, several sponsors. We stayed at River Bend Resort. Paul and Brandy Johnson are the hosts and the owners, and what I liked about that place, and I'm sure you picked up the same vibe, it's family-owned. Paul is in the kitchen. They're serving us. They are actually working right there on the on site in the bar, which is named after one of their dogs uh, who died a couple of years ago, Miles the Lab, so it's Miles Lab Bar. Yeah. I thought the food was great. I don't know what you thought. Well, I happen to have a favorite food, and that's ribs. And on, I guess that was Monday night, they served ribs. They were excellent. Definitely the best ribs I've had this year and best ribs I've had probably in the last year and a half. They were just perfect. Fall off the bone ribs. Sauce was excellent. Couldn't recommend them higher. And, of course, the service was great. They catered to folks coming from all over the, mainly the upper Midwest. And what we were doing there is uh, testing out some sponsors' products, Smith's Consumer Products, provided for us to try out some knives and some fish handling gear, and we had some rods from Zebco and from Favorite. Yep, Favorite. And we were ice fishing now out on this lake. We were, what, eight miles from shore, I think. 
Yeah, eight miles on an ice road. We drove basically in a caravan of trucks following the guide out. And it was 27 degrees below zero Fahrenheit when we, it was. When we got there. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we drove out. And did you ever feel unsafe on the ice out there? No. It was kind of like driving on the moon. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> you know, if you've ever done that before, folks, uh, it's pretty barren and flat and, you know, not much to speak of. Just a white expanse with, uh, dotted with little shacks. You live in Bayfield, and there's, of course, an ice road most winters between Bayfield and Madeline Island, so folks up here are familiar with driving on the ice. But Yeah, this was more like an ice subdivision, I guess. Uh, there was like a main road, and then there were rights and lefts, and you look down any right or left, and there were half a dozen shacks and, and a turnaround and outhouses and uh, propane distribution centers. It was quite the uh, setup. I've never seen anything quite like it. They certainly cater to ice fishermen up there, and I was I was as surprised as you at the number of what they call wheelhouses. Now, that is basically a portable ice house on four wheels, I think, mostly. Yeah, they all had four wheels. Well, from what I noticed, they were kind of balanced on a center set of wheels, and they had some kind of hydraulic mechanism that would lower them to the ice when they were in place. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a big boat trailer with a camper on it, but then if you look closely... You could see that it was, was razorable, lowerable, and uh, it sat flat on the ice when you saw them play. We were going up there on a Sunday, and so we we didn't start counting them until it was too late to get a tally. Hundreds, but hundreds. Of them. Had to be hundreds of them coming south from Red Lake and Lake of the Woods. Yeah. Every one of them towed by a big truck, so folks had a lot invested in that gear. Yeah. If you, if you can't have a Super Duty truck with a camper uh, that is essentially an ice feeded ice shack, uh, what next best thing is somewhere like Riverbend Resort. Our guide took us out, set us up with uh, drilled holes. We had uh, graph equipment, bait. Uh, we actually had pizza delivered one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was warm. You know, I, I wore the heaviest snow suit I have, which is a snowmobiling suit, and I was sweating. I had to take it off uh, right away. I mean, you just walk five feet from the truck into the thing, and it's 70 degrees. Yeah, and Paul Johnson did tell me, I think it was last week on the show, he said, well, you go from a warm cabin to a heated vehicle to a heated ice fishing house, and uh, it's only if you have to use the outhouse a few yards or 100 yards at the most from your ice house that you actually have to go out in the cold. As John said, pizza was delivered one day, they brought sandwiches the other day, and we fished, and we caught a lot of walleyes and saugers. They weren't terribly big. The They're, biggest one we caught was 16 inches, folks. I asked our guide, Alex Peterson, what should I tell my listeners who wonder, why would you go that far, six hours from northern Wisconsin, basically, and another six from where I live in southern Wisconsin, to catch walleyes? And he said, well, two reasons. One, you're going to catch a lot of walleyes, which we did. Actually, three reasons. Two, you're going to take home some fish to eat, which we did. And three, you have a chance, probably the best chance in Minnesota or in the upper Midwest to catch a trophy walleye, a 30-inch walleye. We did not see any of those, but they are caught regularly up there. And, you know, a lot of folks go up for that reason. And, you know, I believe them because mm -hmm. I saw through the Garmin Lidescope, there were some big objects marked yeah. under the ice big that, that would turn around. I couldn't yeah. trick one into hitting my bait. Uh, but for me, it was really interesting to do the interactive video game style of ice fishing that, you know, it has become since uh, I stopped going ice fishing. And this thing was incredible. It had a 40-foot diameter cone. Um, cone, yeah. Sonar scope looking under the water. And you could you could see everyone's bait. 
who was in the ice house. You know, you lift yours, okay, that's Bob. You know, okay, that's mine. We all identified who's what. And then the really neat part was when a fish would swim into our cone, uh, we would, you know, do the play-by-play. Like, okay, up, 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 lower, okay. Jig, jig, boom, you got him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the camera, you know. So yeah. it was like almost like watching live sports. It was. And then, of course, get the camera. What we all did, whoever didn't have a fish on, whipped out a camera or a cell phone. And because we're all media types, we were all photographing each other's fish. And I think those walleyes that we caught, and it was probably the same in the other ice houses, probably the most photographed walleyes on Lake of the Woods this winter. Yeah. And then we actually drove over to Zippel Bay, which is a few miles farther west from Bidette, and went out on the ice there to visit something called the Igloo Bar. And that was quite the experience as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's something. You know, in my mind's eye, I had pictured a translucent glass blocks yeah. in the shape of an igloo with the fire inside and, you know, maybe a giant door-sized hole cut where people were standing around fishing. Uh, but, no, it was a steel frame structure that they had towed out on skids and, you know, basically foam insulation spray-painted to look like an igloo. Uh, inside there was a, a bar and benches and tables. Each table had two ice fishing holes drilled in it. Some had tip-ups just hanging out with big sucker minnows on them. And the others were available for uh, patrons of the bar to bring their own tackle, their own locator, and, and just fish as they had beer. So pretty cool. It was. And they catch some big pike at, at that location. There was a fellow who caught one the day we were there. It was at least 40 inches and a pretty remarkable fish. If you imagine pulling that up next to the person sitting at a bar with, yeah. oh, I think I got one. Yeah, right. Through the hole. And then, you know, hold on. You know, don't finish your pool game just yet. We got to land this fish. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to wrap this up, but we enjoyed the trip and uh, had a lot of windshield time chatting and uh, rebonding as father and son and fellow anglers and communicators, and, and that was a good time. But you met some of my friends, some folks I've known for many years, and some folks you've met at other outings as yeah. well. Yeah, the Aglow Group is a good bunch. You know, uh, the few times I've been with them on these media events, it's always been a great time. And, you know, we've learned a lot, and we've got to try out a lot of new things, things that you might not try on your own. Absolutely. Well, folks, if you have a mind to do some ice fishing out of the normal area where you fish, let us recommend Lake of the Woods, and in particular, River Bend Resort. We had a great time, as you can tell, and you can find them online at riverbendresort.com. John, thanks for joining me on this trip, and I'm looking forward to the next time we get together to do something fun outdoors. Yeah, me too. Well, let's see. What is it right now? Beginning of February, what are we looking at next? Turkey season. Oh, that's right. Spring turkey. Awesome. With John Small up here in Bayfield, I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. We're also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. Find out about their upcoming DUX Expo at duckexpo.com. That's ducks, duckexpo.com. And by the Wisconsin DNR Hunter Education Program. Want to go hunting? Sign up for Hunter Education or learn to hunt classes at dnr.wi.gov. And if our TV show, Outdoor Wisconsin, is not airing where you live, you can always watch past episodes at milwaukeepbs.org. And our Deer Hunt Wisconsin show, of course, is archived on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin TV YouTube channel. You can find a link to it on my Facebook page or just search Deer Hunt Wisconsin TV on YouTube. You'll find it. And for your convenience, we archive all of our radio shows online. You can go to lake-link.com. And uh, listen to this show, past shows uh, back to uh, a year ago. And uh, all of that is lake-link.com, their outdoor radio page. You can download the shows and take them with you wherever you go. Find Dan on social media throughout the week at Dan Small Outdoors. Find me at Hardwater Jeff. And if you're not fishing in ice fishing tournaments and you're looking for something to do this winter, especially in the evening... They say it's going to warm up this weekend, so how about a candlelight event at a state park or natural area? Hikes, snowshoe and ski outings, even fat bike events every weekend through the end of February. Details on the DNR website. Just click on the events calendar. And this weekend, I think we mentioned it last week, it's the 100th annual Snowflake Ski Jumping Tournament at Snowflake Ski Hill just west of Westby. A few miles from my house, actually, on County Highway P. Competition all day Saturday. Learn more at uh, at Snowflake Ski Club on Facebook. The Wild Eagle Lodge Winter Flash Sale has been extended for one more week. You can save 20% on a two-night stay through February 7th if you book online at wildeaglelodge.com. And for you folks who are interested in what's going on with wolves in Wisconsin, the DNR is hosting a virtual listening and uh, interactive listening session, by the way, on the proposed wolf management plan starting at 4 p.m. this coming Tuesday, February 7th. You have to register online by noon on Monday, February 6th. Details are on the DNR website at uh, keywords wolf management, and the public comment period has been extended to the end of the month, February 28th. This Sunday, February 5th, is the Manitowoc Gun Club's 47th Annual Gun Show, 8 to 3 at City Limits, which is two miles south of Manitowoc on Highway County Highway CR. And the Manitowoc County Fish and Game Protective Association is offering free downloads of their two cookbooks. Go to M-A-N-T-Y, Manti, F-G.com, and one of those is their... 100th anniversary cookbook. There's some great vintage recipes. MantyFG.com. Jeff, I think uh, Charlie Behrens would have fun with that one, wouldn't he? With his, I'm sure. I'm sure he would. His Manitowoc Minute. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. Hear more of his tunes at WarrenNelson.com. I'm Dan Small, here with Jeff Kelm. Get outside this weekend, and be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. Oh, how I love leaving the shore. When the cool night swallows The moose's nose And the heron is fishing 
on one cold leg When the loon cries lover In the blue north wind I'll be trolling home to you When my wrist gets a little chilly On the gunnel When my lazy act is just too lazy to lure When the worms go dry In the coffee can, honey 